As I was working on this sermon, I was reminded of uh, when I grew up. I did my share of um, I did my share of things I shouldn't have done, uh, both to a greater and a lesser degree. In fact, I was probably I probably um, took some other people's share of things that they you know that they they shouldn't have done now i wasn't as bad you know i really wasn't as bad as i could have been but really is that the goal you want is the goal you want to uh, that's not a good goal you know you don't want to have the, your goal being well i could have been worse you know i'll just go to i'll just go this far uh, you know and, and then i'll stop i could have been worse you know so you know that, that that's not that's not the goal uh we want to be working on now my mother was only aware of a small fraction of the things, the bad, foolish, dumb, sinful things that I had done. And, uh, you know, she was only aware of a fraction of those. And that's probably true for all of us. At least I know it is for Kent and Jeff because Kent was telling me some stuff this week that I, I know his parents don't know about. Um, and, um, you know, and, and, and I agreed with him. It was probably a, probably a good thing. Uh, but, you know, the, the point was I didn't want my mom to know um, some of those things i you know i just i i didn 't want her to know uh you know those things that I did that I knew she wouldn 't approve of. Uh, it was clear to me you know what things she wouldn 't wouldn 't approve of and i didn 't want her to know those things that I was doing that she wouldn 't approve of uh, you know they uh, you know in fact, knowing those things that she did and didn 't approve of you know knowing what it what it was what kind of person she wanted me to be, it kept me from doing even more goofy, foolish, bad, sinful things. You know, it, it kept me from doing some of those things because I knew, you know, uh, some of it because I knew she would find out about it and, and I didn't want her to find out about it, you know. But also with some of it, realistically, you know, it was because I respected her and I loved her enough that I didn't, I, I wanted to uphold her standards. You know, I wanted to, um, what, to, to go by what she saw was right and, you know, I, I didn't need to ask because I knew, you know, I knew my mother. I knew her and I knew what, you know, her standards and values. I knew her expectations of me. And, you know, I chose not to violate what I knew she wouldn't want me to do. And, you know, her, I, I didn't want to violate her character either. And I didn't want to violate her reputation. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be the one responsible for that. And my mom didn't have to address every specific issue because really, I mean, I, you don't have to get into every, all of them. I knew my mother. I knew what she would want, you know, and living within those boundaries of knowing what she would want, you know, really helped me avoid some bad choices and avoid some things, um, you know, and, and to do some good things. I mean, some good things even got moved in there because, uh, you know, I knew who she was and, and that. Now, if we apply that logic to our relationship with God, if you apply that same logic to your relationship with God, knowing what God's standards are, knowing who he is, knowing what he expects of us, and our love for him, if you apply those same standards, you're going to avoid 99% uh, of the problems. You, you know, 99% of the situations you encounter, you're going to know what to do. You will know what to do in 100% of the sinful ones. Because if you know God's standards and you want to live to please Him, then when you get to those sinful things, 100% of the time you will know 
you will know what you're to do, and that's to not sin. Uh, today we're going to look at the question, what do we do? You know, what are, what are we, what are we to do? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your guidance and love. Uh, thank you for your sureness. You're not wondering about anything we face. You are not confused about what we should do. You are not wondering what in the world, how this should go. You know. And we're very grateful for that. I pray that you would help us to know you and your heart even more. And that today as we look into your word, we would be reminded, we would be challenged, we would be, well, I guess called on the carpet if we need to be, that we might put our our lives more in line with you and who you are. Uh, So use your word as we look and um, touch lives as only you can do, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis 47, so turn there. Genesis chapter 47, whatever version you're using, I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard. One of these days when uh, things change around a little bit, we'll have pew Bibles back in there, but uh, it just doesn't work right now for us to be able to do that. So uh, I hope that you know we continue to learn. I hope we continue to be motivated by our study through Genesis. There's three chapters left after this one. After today, we have three chapters left, and we'll finish Genesis. And I was, I was in my office. I thought we're finishing it, baby. Uh, you know, we're gonna. I started it eight years ago, and it's about time we got this thing wrapped up, don't you think? Um, last week we looked at chapter 46. We saw Jacob and his sons and their families traveled to Egypt. And as they traveled to Egypt, then we saw where Joseph and Jacob were reunited. That really had to be a pretty cool thing. I mean, when you think about think about that. It was over 20 years. Joseph, you know, wasn't sure. Well, he was at that at this particular point, you know. But uh, up until his brothers stood before him, he wasn't sure if his, if his father was dead or alive. I mean, realistically, it was it had been it had been 22 years. His dad, would, you know, was 130 when he came. So, yeah, it was he he didn't know. He didn't know if his father was still alive. Jacob, on the other hand, thought Joseph was dead. Well, then Joseph finds out from his brothers, his father's still alive. And then the brothers got to fess up to their to their dad later, you know, that Joseph is still alive. And man, I just couldn't imagine. You want to talk about being pumped, um, you know, that old adrenaline shooting to you. Uh, this is the picture, you know. So here, you know, Joseph and Jacob were united in chapter 46. And then Joseph... Um, had had his family, Jacob and, and his brothers and their families, settle in the area of Goshen, just a you know what hour and a half down the road here, and uh, uh, you know and and then Joseph came and talked with them, prepared them to meet Pharaoh. That's where we are, uh, Genesis chapter forty-seven, beginning with verse one. Says so Joseph went and informed Pharaoh, my father and my brothers, with their sheep and cattle and all that they own, have come from the land of Canaan and are now in the land of Goshen. He took five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Apparently his favorite five, I don't know. But anyway, uh, verse three. Then Pharaoh asked his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants, both we and our fathers are shepherds. Then they said to Pharaoh, We have come to live in the land for a while because there is no grazing land for your servants, sheep, since the famine in the land of Canaan has been severe. So now, please say, let your servants settle in the land of Goshen. 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Now that your father and brothers have come to you, the land of Egypt is open before you. Settle your father and brothers in the best part of the land. They can live in the land of Goshen. If you know of any capable men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Joseph then brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many years have you lived? Jacob said to Pharaoh, My pilgrimage has lasted 130 years. My years have been few and hard, and they have not surpassed the years of my fathers during their pilgrimages. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and departed from Pharaoh's presence. Then Joseph settled his father and brothers in the land of Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, brothers, and all his father's household with food uh, for their dependents. We're going to stop there. And, you know, the brothers, you notice, you know, here they said they were shepherds. Now, if you back up to chapter 46, look at uh, verse 34. Joseph instructed them to say that they raised livestock here. Uh, now, you know, Joseph told them what he thought they should be saying. Um, but, uh, you know, we can be pushed, we can be tempted, you know, pushed or tempted, you know, to say what we think others want to hear or what we think others want us to say. You know, we can we get into a situation and we get tempted to to say what we think what we think they're going to want to hear as opposed to what should be said or as opposed to the truth. We can be pushed sometimes where there's that pressure, you know, to to say what we think others want us to say. Uh, what we should do is answer honestly before God, not shading the truth to make ourselves look better. We need to answer honestly before God. That's not always easy. These things we talk about, you know, they're not always easy. And all of them aren't always easy, but they are always best. It's always best to follow God. Uh, you know, and we, we shouldn't say things. <coughs> we shouldn't say things only to please others. We need to answer honestly. You know, we're to speak the truth. Scripture tells us to speak the truth and to speak the truth in love. You know, you don't just go out there and blast them when, you know, you know that, that's not the goal. The goal isn't just to get things off our chest. The goal isn't to get them to do things our way. You know, we can say the truth to people to try to get them to do things our way. That's not the goal. You know, the goal is that what is our standing before God. And, you know, we don't want to shade the truth. What we want to do is is be honest you know honesty is always better you don't have to go back and wonder you don't have to go back and try to explain things honesty is always better the brothers had to go back and explain well you know dad 20 22 years ago when we let you believe that joseph was dead well that was a lie you know every time you brought up his name over these last 20 22 years we continued that lie how would you like to have how would you like to have to go up to you know one of your parents or a friend or your spouse and say i've been lying to you for 20 years oh my gosh you want to talk about you want to talk about trash in a relationship you know answer honestly honestly 
they were shepherds, so they said they were shepherds. Now, if you're, if they were doing what God called them to do. This is what God called them to do, be shepherds. And they also did raise, raise livestock, but, you know, shepherds was, was really their, their calling here. If you're doing, if you're doing what God has called you to do, and just so you know, that is what you should be doing. You should be doing what God has called you to do. Now, you know, you talk to people and say, well, you know, I feel called to, you know, you know, that, that, that may be the thing. Here's the, you know, I never felt, and this is going to sound odd, I never felt God called me to be a pastor. But I will tell you, what I am doing is what I feel God wants me to do. That is simply how it all unfolded. It all unfolded as, you know, each step of the way. It's not like, you know, I, I thought, well, God's calling me to be a pastor. And so I went to Bible college, you know, and trained. That isn't how it happened at all. I went to, I left my job and went to Bible college simply to be the best help to my pastor that I could be. That was my reason for going to school, which is also part of why some of our relatives thought I was nuts. Uh, you know, but I, I, I realized, you know, in, in being in the church and being involved in the church that, man, these guys know a lot more than I do. And I really need to make up for some lost ground here. You know, I really, I, there's a lot more I need to know. And God opened the doors for me to be able to, to do that and to go to Bible college. And that's why I went to Bible college. And when I was in, when I was at Moody, and then God opened the door because some of my requirements in my major, we had to do, uh, they called it practical Christian ministries, uh, which was you get out there and do what you're learning. And that was a requirement every semester we were there. Some schools, it's, you know, you do it one semester or three out of four or whatever it is. Well, ours was every semester. And we had requirements for our practical Christian ministries. And in my major, one of the requirements was preaching. And so I had to do those. So we, you know, things, and God lined it up then, and, you know, where I was able to preach. And then God continued to open doors, and then there, you know, then I was a pastor, you know. It's not like, you know, when I was eight years old, I said, God said you're going to be a pastor. That's not it. And I'm not saying God doesn't work that way. He does. But what I'm saying is when I, when I, when I say to you, you know, that you should be doing what God calls you to do, it's not, it's, it's not that thing, you know, where, where, you know, we're in a dark room when we hear, George, this is God, and here's what I want you to do. That isn't the deal. The deal, you know, is, is you're doing what God called you to do. That's an each and every day thing. And it is also where you're working now should be where God called you to. And, I, you know, I don't want to give you a wedgie or anything, but where you're living should be where God called you to. It's where God called you to. And again, it's not always this big thing with the neon sign, over here, over here. You know, that's not it. You know, it, it sometimes he, he opens those doors and we walk through in obedience, you see. Because sometimes, 
We couldn't handle it if God gave us this, you know, this calling and, and we're trying to work towards it. Sometimes we couldn't handle it. Why? Because I don't know about you. I would be missing where I was at. When I say missing, I don't mean in the sense of, oh, I miss that. I mean in the sense of, what was that? You know, missing it like whoosh, right by me. And God got God's calling, you know, right where you're at should be God's calling. And then you pay attention to that as you... It's in all areas of life. Because there, if you don't have this by now, write it down on the back of your hand and then later go to a tattoo guy and have him ink it in for you. There is no area of your life that should be separated from God. No area. It's not like here's the God stuff and here's the my stuff or here's the God stuff and here's the not God stuff. It's all God's stuff, you see. It's all him. So, you know, don't be don't be ashamed or embarrassed by, you know, doing what, you know, what you feel God has called you to do. The uh, I was I was talking um I don't even remember. Oh yeah, I do remember. A guy I used to run with. I uh saw his boss, the owner of his company. I was with the owner of his company on Thursday and and we were talking. And uh I said I said, hey, I, you know, I know so-and-so. He said, yeah. He said, oh, good man. I wanted him to head up my IT department. He said, no. He said, he doesn't want to be in charge. He, you know, he said, he, he, likes to do, he likes to do what he's told. He said, so he's the number two guy. I got a number one guy. He said, so he said, but he, does every, he does everything he's asked. He says, and he does it well. You know, as a... He, you know, and this friend, I know, you know, this, this guy, like I said, I used to run with him and I know him from running, but he's a Christian. And he's doing what he feels God called him to do. And it wasn't to step up into leadership. It wasn't just to take that promotion. He felt God had him where he wanted him and he said, this is kind of, this is where I need to be. This is where I need to stay. Don't be ashamed, you know, don't be ashamed to be doing what, what God has called you to do in all areas of life. In fact, be proud, you know, you know, pride, yeah. Uh, oh, I should have had that up before, apparently. Oh, no, that's it. Yeah, be proud to be doing what God has called you to do. You know, you'd be doing what God has called you to do and be proud to be doing what God has called you to do. A motivating pride, not a, not a pride that leads you to arrogance. A pride that leads you to arrogance is sinful pride. A pride that can motivate you to do, to do better, you know, is a, so the Marines, one of the things with the Marines, you know, uh, the proud, the few. You remember that phrase in there? Why? Because what is that? That is to motivate to do better. Anybody here proud of their kids? And all your kids? Well, one, one person. Oh, two. Okay. Uh, well, now we got three. Okay, we're going there. We're getting there. Okay. You, you said, a, a, a good pride, a motivating pride, because you see your pride and love for your kids does what? Helps motivate them to do even better. And helps motivate them to, you know, to, so what we're talking about here is, is a good motivating pride. Well, Pharaoh responds favorably to Joseph's family. He offers him the best, 
you know, the best of the land, you know, and, and offered, you know, the position to them to be the keeper of Pharaoh's livestock. A hey, pretty good position, you know, you want a, you want a good job? What do you wear? I work for Pharaoh. That's kind of a cool thing, you know, I mean, to be able to say, you, you know, you work for the man. Anyway, um, you know, now, uh, here's the deal. Perhaps uh, Pharaoh doesn't know these guys. He knows Joseph. And perhaps he felt that Joseph was such a good worker, Joseph was such a good leader, that maybe his brothers were as well. And it's interesting. You see, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Uh, the, the normally, the normal course of things, and we would say, well, yeah, that is what happened. And it is, I'd agree. It's the, the greater blesses the lesser. But, you know, in that situation where Jacob would be coming into Pharaoh, Pharaoh would be seen by everyone around as the greater Jacob, it's twice, I think, verse 7 and, and, and verse 10 uh, that it talks about it. Um, yeah, you know, in verse 7 it says that, that you know, he, he blessed him. Verse 10 it says that he blessed him. Uh, you got that picture there. Jacob and, his, Jacob and his family were accepted because Pharaoh appreciated Joseph so much. Not because he thought Jacob was such a good guy. Not because he thought his brothers were, you know, such wonderful people. They were accepted because Pharaoh appreciated Joseph so much. Pharaoh didn't didn't even know any of his sons. His opinion of his Pharaoh's opinion of Jacob and his family came because of his opinion of Joseph. That's where it started. You see, the reputation that you build with people affects those who come behind you. The reputation that you build with people affects those who come behind you. I was the last of five Ryan children going through our school system in Dalton, Illinois. And I was, I was the final one coming through there. Um, many of my teachers had at least one of my siblings when we moved out to Dalton, um, my sisters were already beyond, you know, the elementary grade. So uh, the elementary teachers didn't have, but they had, they had, uh, my, they had my uh, brother and my one sister. And my relationship with those teachers started out with the attitude they had toward my siblings. Now, if they happen to have one of my sisters. Oh, then they expected a lot of me, and more than they should have, uh, because my sisters were really good students, you know, and, and so the, they, they expected me to be a really good student. It just wasn't my thing. Uh, you know, now if they had my brother, then they kept me on a short leash. See, my brother, my brother had to learn everything the hard way. And, uh, my brother would challenge uh, you know, authority. So if they had my brother, you know, that, that, that would be, uh, you know, th- that would, if, it, for years in our community, you know, it, for years, um, my siblings and I were viewed as the kids whose father abandoned them and are being raised by a single mother. Now, see, we hear that in 2020. But in 1960, that wasn't cool. That wasn't a good thing. 
your reputation affects more than just you. Now, not just your family. Here's the deal again. We've talked about this before. You are the very best Christian some people know. So guess what? Their opinion of Christians is being formed by you. And all those Christians who come behind you will be affected by that. Why do you think, why do you think that some in the, in the country who don't know uh, much about Christians except what they see on the news, and for a while it was what, one leader after another falling, you know, to adultery and embezzlement and things like this. And, you know, so why, why do you think some look at Christians that way? Because that's the only exposure they have to them. So your, your, the way you live as a Christian is, is affecting those Christians who come behind you. We need to move on. Verse 13. But there was no food in that entire region, for the famine was very severe. Uh, the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan were exhausted by the famine. Joseph collected all the money to be found in the land of Egypt, the land of Canaan, in exchange for the grain they were purchasing. And he brought the money to Pharaoh's palace. When the money from the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan was gone, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die here in front of you? The money is gone. But Joseph said, Give me your livestock. Since the money is gone, I will give you food in exchange for your livestock. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for the horses, the herds of sheep, the herds of cattle, and the donkeys. That year he provided them with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came the next year and said to him, We cannot hide from our Lord that the money is gone and that all our livestock belongs to the Lord. There is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Then why should we die here in front of you, both us and our land? Buy us and our land in exchange for food. Then we with our land will become Pharaoh's slaves. Give us seed so that we can live and not die and so that the land won't become desolate. In this way, Joseph acquired all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh because every Egyptian sold his field since the famine was so severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's and Joseph moved the people to the cities from one end of Egypt to the other. The only land he didn't acquire was the priest's portion for it was given to them by Pharaoh. They lived off the rations Pharaoh had given them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Understand today that I have acquired you and your land for Pharaoh. Here is seed for you. Sow it in the land. At harvest you are to give a fifth of it to Pharaoh, and four-fifths will be yours as a seed for the field and as food for yourselves, your households, and your dependents. And they said, You have saved our lives. We have found favor in our Lord's eyes and will be Pharaoh's slaves. So Joseph made it a law, still in effect today in the land of Egypt, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. Only the priest's land does not belong to Pharaoh. Now, let's pause for a second here. You have years that go by in these verses. You have at least two years, because twice it says, and the next year, and the next year. So you have years that go by here. Verse 13, I like the way it's worded in the, New, in the Holman Christian Standard. It tells us the whole country was exhausted by the famine. They still had three years left of this famine. You know, now some of the other translations, you know, says exhausted, languished, wasted away. Any of those, any of those are good translations. Exhausted would be the the word we used most often. Um, I I haven't told anybody that you know that I've languished away in in 
65 and a half years. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, and wasted away. I, I you know, I, I don't know that I've ever used that phrase. Exhausted. I, I've used, I've used that phrase. I don't, I don't know about the whole country, but I'm exhausted by all of this COVID stuff. I'm exhausted by all of this political arguing. I'm exhausted by everyone insisting on their own way and you need to be the way I think you should be. I'm exhausted by all this stuff and I think we're going to be dealing with this for another year or more. You know, it's, it's just... Um, you may have noticed living with others brings stress. You may have noticed that in your life. So don't think of stress as abnormal. You see, living with others brings stress, so don't think of it as abnormal. Whether you're living with one other person, get ready. Whether you're living with one other person, you know, or you're living with, with you know, 10 or 100 or 300,000, 3.5 million you know, 35 million, however, however, living with others brings stress. And stress comes because we're unsettled with what they are doing or what they are not doing. And we're unsettled by that. You know, we're unsettled by what's going on or what we, what we expect to happen. And that brings stress, uh, you know, along with it. And the more people that join in with this behavior that we think should be different, you know, the more stress we can feel. Now I say can feel because you need to grab a hold of the reality that stress is increased or decreased. It's increased or diminished by your reaction to what's going on. It was, I, 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 I had to chuckle, um, because I was working on this at home. I was working on this sermon at home and Ginny was home and she was, I was sitting at one spot in the table and she was sitting just over on to my right a little bit and she was working on school stuff. And there was some stuff, there was something going on outside in the neighborhood and I kept getting up and going out there and checking. Ginny said to me, what are you doing? I said, I want him to do it differently. They were working on a sidewalk by my house. I wanted them to. Do, I wanted to make sure they did it my way. Jenny said, "What are you getting yourself worked up for?" I said, "Let me read to you what I'm working on." <laughs> and I read. I read this story. I sat. I sat back down. You know. Um, you see, you don't have to be directed by stress. It's, it's how you choose to respond. In fact, I would tell you to be careful you don't allow stress to direct your actions, to direct your choices. It's a choice you make. It's a choice you make and how you're going to do that. You know, and your choices and your actions should always be directed by your relationship with God. It should always be directed by your relationship with God. There's the challenge. There's a challenge for us right there because stress is a heavy load. Stress is that big push. Stress is exhausting. Lighten the load. Resist the push. Resist that pushing, you know, that, that comes from stress by pulling deeper into your relationship with Christ. Do it by pulling deeper into your relationship with Christ. This takes repeated intentional time. 
I knew what my mother expected of me because I lived with her. Because we talked, because I listened to her when she talked to me. I knew what she expected because I had seen it, it, it lived out by her and lived out by others. You know, it takes repeated intentional time. You need to have repeated intentional time with God. It takes repeated intentional effort. When's the last time outside of church you opened your Bible and read and took notes? You know, when's the, when's the last time? It takes repeated intentional effort and it takes repeated intentional choices. Of drawing near God. You don't understand, Pastor. I don't have time. Yeah, I understand. I understand that you choose how you're going to spend each day. You choose. No, I don't. I have this and that to do. No, you do. You choose that you want to live where you live and that you're, you choose, you know, you're, you've, you've chosen uh, your, your bills, you know, uh, and, and uh, so it's, you, you choose. It's intentional. It's repeated intentional time, effort, and choices. He told us in Matthew 11, he said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're feeling the weight and the burden of life, you need to come to him. You need to take up his yoke. You need to learn from him. What does he say? I will give you rest twice. He says, I will give you rest. You will find rest. If you, if you, spend, if you pull deeper into that relationship with Christ, you are going to find rest. You are going, what we need to do is to pull deeper into our relationship with Christ. Well, the famine continued. Joseph had prepared for this, you know, but he didn't just sit back and coast. He went into action. Uh, he sold grain. He got all the money, all the animals, all the land. All, you know, all the, I'm not endorsing his actions. In fact, I personally think he should have behaved differently. Don't excuse people in the Bible just because they're in the Bible. Well, Joseph was a hero. Guess what? Joseph was also a sinner, and Joseph also did sinful things. Okay? And the Bible very faithfully records the foolishness of God's people. We're going to skip. Well, here, here's the one. That, uh, uh, respond, we need to respond in a way that honors God. I don't think Joseph necessarily did in that regard. And again, maybe I'm wrong, and I could be wrong about, about Joseph's response, but what I'm not wrong about is the fact that we need to respond in a way that honors God. Okay? There's that. I, we need to jump down to this last part here. Um, Verse 27. It says, Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the region of Goshen. They acquired property in it and became fruitful and very numerous. Now Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, and his lifespan was 147 years. When the time drew near for him to die, he called his son Joseph, said to him, If I found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise me that you will deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt uh, when I rest with my father's Carry me away from Egypt and bury me in their burial place. Joseph answered, I will do what you have asked. And Jacob said, Swear to me. So Joseph swore to him. Then Israel bowed down in thanks at the head of his bed. We're running out of time. You know, we, we, the whole, you know, Jacob ignores tradition here and, and he, uh, um, Joseph gets elevated to the, the number one spot in the family. What he asked of Joseph 
you know, about his burial and stuff. That was the responsibility of the oldest son. The oldest son and all the other sons had really already proven themselves untrustworthy repeatedly. Um, we don't have time to get into that. Just look back or talk to me later and I'll tell you about it. But never true, choose tradition over what is right before God. Just never do that. Never choose tradition over what is right before God. If you have a tradition in your family, you know, that goes against what you should be as God's person, then you be the one to break that tradition. You be the one to break that cycle. If you have a cycle or a tradition going on in your family that is against the word of God, that is against the person God is calling you to be, then break, be the one to break that tradition. Be the one to break that cycle. We need to follow God instead. We're all going to, you know, we're all going to face decisions and we all need to choose what we're going to do. I have never, ever regretted following God. I have never, ever regretted doing what he's called me to do. What we are to do, we are to always do what is right before God. What are we to do? What is right before God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your patience with us that uh, puts up with us when we do stupid things when we do foolish things, when we do things we shouldn't be doing. And you, Father, continue to love us, continue to reach out to us. In fact, you gave us your Son, your one and only Son, that everyone, whoever, whosoever, every single one who believes, trusts in him will not perish but will have everlasting life, that gift from you to us. How foolish for us to withhold ourselves from you. How foolish for us to section off any part of our life and make it separate from you. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Help us to be those people who choose to do what is right before you. Not what those around us might be pushing us toward. Not the answer we feel they want to hear. Not traditions, not other expectations, but only for you. That we would live out our love for you. That it would be guiding us to do always what is right before you. And when we stray, when we mess that up, to come right back. To confess, to repent, to ask you for forgiveness. And to begin once again to doing what is right before you. Make us those people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.